What is a trademark? I'm Ben Chapman, a patent attorney at Cartmills and Ransford, and today I'm joined by my colleague Alexandra Bell, a solicitor and trademark lawyer who's part of our trademarks team. Um, So in the series so far, we've been talking about patents, but today Alexandra and I will be talking about trademarks, what they are, how they're registered, how they're used, and how legal professionals are involved in the process. So, Alexandra, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Ben. It's great to be here. So, well, let's, let's just get stuck in with the very basic question. What is a trademark? <laughs> the big million dollar question. Um, so, yeah, so a trademark is essentially the legal term for a brand. Uh, it can be virtually anything that enables consumers to instantly identify and distinguish the trade origin of products and services. So we literally see them every day of our lives from the you know, moment we look at your phone in the morning to, to when you're putting your alarm on at the end of the night kind of thing. Mm. Um, so trademarks can be virtually anything. Uh, words or logos are probably the most common. Uh, that could be like the Nike word or McDonald's or the logo, the, the Nike swish, the tick uh, or McDonald's golden arches. For example, uh, so it can also protect slogans. So Nike's got just do it. Uh, McDonald's has I'm loving it, which we're all very familiar with. Um, and that kind of builds kind of their their kind of portfolio. They'll, they'll have a generally a brand will have a bunch of different trademarks that they use at any given time and different mm. points that indicate themselves. There's also various non-traditional trademarks that people aren't quite familiar with or realize that they are can actually function as a trademark. So the likes of smells, which is for quite odd um, sounds, you know, the, the, the Intel sound when you open and you start your laptop, that did them. Uh, that's actually registered as a trademark, but also colours and shapes. Uh, we've actually was talking on a podcast recently with Lara uh, about the lint chocolate bunny. Uh, they're trying to register the shape and the gold colour. So, so there's many different things can function as a trademark, um, but the purpose, the sole purpose of them is um, to indicate and to guarantee that the product you're buying and depicting that sign is what you think it is. You know, it's, it's a Coke, not a Pepsi. Mm. Uh, and it's coming from an origi- originating from a particular business that you think made or sold it. Um, and it's also differentiating products from, from other, uh, other businesses. So trademark is hugely important to a business. Uh, it's how consumers identify and remember them. Um, it communicates quality uh, and value. It can also be a status symbol, like a lot of luxury brands. It can also symbolize kind of a way of life or, or even like specific feeling or something, um, which is pretty crazy. So all these kind of these factors, they play into the reputation and the goodwill of a acquired in a brand and its monetary value. So the brand it really brings the the value for, for a business. It's uh, what it's known for. So uh, for example, Apple, they're worth that. The Apple brand is worth around two hundred billion pounds. Uh, Google's closely follows. I think two hundred and seven billion. Um, that was my last research on Google. Um, and uh, the Microsoft as well, kind of coming in. They've kind of topped it, the record numbers uh, in terms of their brand value for for quite a few years. I like how you had to use Google to figure out the worth <laughs> of Google. <laughs> it was quite ironic. <laughs> So it's amazing, isn't it, that a trademark sort of encapsulates so much. It's not only the indication of where goods or services have come from, but as you say, so much of the value gets then bundled up in that 
mark in that brand because that's how the consumers associate it with the originator of the goods or services. Exactly. So the trademark law in general and a trademark attorney or a trademark lawyer like myself, our job or we kind of exist to help businesses protect and enforce those brands and to ensure that no one else is using something confusingly similar uh, and which in turn protects consumers. It, it helps them from uh, pre- prevents them from being confused or, or misled uh, in the market. Hmm. And does a trademark have to be registered? I know we've been talking a lot on this podcast about patents, which are a type of registered intellectual property right. Um, but how does it work for trademarks? Yeah, so so trademarks are a little bit different. They're kind of uh, a little bit more similar to, to copyright, I guess, um, where they can exist without being registered. Uh, and, a lot, and that is the case in a lot of countries, not, not all countries. Um, some countries you do have to register it in order to secure rights for them. But in majority countries like the UK and the EU, uh, the register registering a trademark does give you um, the exclusive right to use the mark for the goods and services. It's an instant indicator um, of an, the exclusivity to, of use, uh, as well as being able to use that registration to prevent others from using and registering the same or similar mark. Um, and it's also a deter- it acts as a deterrent um, for other traders looking to register trademarks. So when you're when you're looking at a new brand, you can instantly go onto the a register in a particular country and see who might have that brand registered already. Um, mm. So yeah, as I say, but you can you can use a trademark without registering it, and over time that will acquire some rights related to that use uh, and the reputation that you acquire through that. But it's very difficult to enforce an unregistered trademark against third parties. You, it's a really high level of evidence required uh, to really establish that you are using it as a trademark and consumers recognise it as such. Uh, in the UK, it's the common law principle of passing off is, is the, the the law that we rely on uh, in that respect. But it's a really high threshold. And as I said, it's not always uh, valid or acknowledged in some countries. Whereas I suppose a registered trademark, you then have your piece of paper that says your trademark is registered in whatever form. And exactly. There's no need to pass that evidentiary bar in the first instance. Exactly. Yeah. And you then have the right to use the little R symbol. So the little R with a circle in it, that indicates that that trademark is registered and is enforceable against anyone else uh, using the same mark. Uh, whereas if you see the little TM symbol um, next, to, next to a lot of brands, that actually is no signa- uh, indication of, of registration. It may be registered, but it might also not be. Uh, it, that just regist- it indicates that the trader is kind of wanting that mark to act as a trademark. It's a communication form to the consumer as opposed to indication of registration. Mm. And so how do you actually go about getting a trademark registered? So yeah, it's, a <laughs> it's quite a quite a lot lengthy process. I suppose that's kind of my job really as a, as a <laughs> whole, right from right from the beginning to where from when the the business kind of comes up with a new brand or, or say they've got an invention. Uh, in, in the patents world, they've been talking to the patents team and and they're now wanting to go to market. They're wanting to give that invention a name. Um, and then go about registering it. Uh, that whole process um, can take, yeah, can take a little bit of time. Um, so I guess I suppose stepping back a little bit um, to registering trademarks generally, each every country has their own trademark register. 
And in order to uh, use, a, use a trademark or register it in a particular country, you have to go around in every single country <laughs> and register it. So it can be quite a, quite a big feat. I think Coca-Cola has one of the most widely used and registered trademarks. So they are pretty much registered in every <laughs> trademark register you can find. Um, so it's quite a big feat. So kind of the first step um, for, for a client when they're thinking about registering their trademark is what markets they want to operate in. Uh, so we will look about, you know, whether that's the EU, uh, that's got a bit of an interesting situation. You've obviously got the EU uh, national um, trademark rights, so every country within the EU member states have their own register, but the EU IPO or an EU trademark also is a separate right, it's a unitary right that provides you registration across the whole of the EU member states. It's kind of a one-stop shop uh, to registration there. So there's a few kind of interplays that's unique in the EU, I guess, with registration. Um, and then the US is a big market uh, in China as well. So you often find uh, traders wanting to register in China for defensive me measures, uh, if they're, especially if they're manufacturing their product uh, in China. Uh, so that's a big consideration, kind of as a first step. And then you've then you've got to go and have a look at clearing the trademark. Uh, so you want to check in every country whether the trademark is available to register, whether there are any other brands that already exist. Uh, so that's that's uh, we kind of do that as clearance searching, kind of clearing, uh, making sure it's available, uh, and then you think about actually filing the application and, and filing. <laughs> this is this is all that's all before you've even filed or thought about filing, really. Um, so when you come up to thinking about filing an application, um, you you have to have a depict the mark itself. So if it's it's a word mark or it's a logo, uh, then you specify what goods and services that trademark is going to be registered for. So you can't register a trademark for everything. I think there are some comp companies that are trying to. I think Amazon, uh, they've got their finger in a lot of pies. I think they're trying to register <laughs> Amazon for virtually anything in the world. Um, but so that they would then list out uh, what goods and services or products or inventions that they're going to be using uh, that trademark for. Um, the NICE classification system, so there's a uni uh, universal classification system that literally organises all of the goods and services that possibly could exist into classes. So it's one to 45 classes and everything from chemicals to vehicles to advertising services or retail is, is classified within within that. So you kind of identify exactly what you're going to be registering it for. Right. So you sort of have to identify what your trademark is going to be, whether that's a logo, a word or a slogan or some depiction of the sound. And then you pick what you're going to register that trademark for. So your goods and, you know, the broad class that it fits into. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so then that kind of, hopefully that's all done and dusted. It's probably maybe taken a few weeks to kind of get to that point. Um, and then you file it. Uh, the UK um, and the EU goes through an examination process um, and they will examine the trademark and make sure that it fits all the requirements. So interestingly, it's, you know, not everything can be registrable as a trademark. There are certain things that... Uh, that it has to do or it can't do. So for example, it can't be descriptive. It can't describe the characteristics or the nature of the goods or services because really any trader should be able to call 
their pencil a pencil or, or anything like that. Sorry, I'm looking around at things for examples. But um, so you can't you can't describe what um, your trademark can't be descriptive of, of what the goods or services are. It has to be capable of distinguishing your product from someone else's. So so it has to be something about that's kind of unique. And there's a bit of a spectrum. You can go from the um, from the really really um, inventive inventive words that are just a made up letters combined I think Xerox is is one of those it's just a made up word or you can go to something that's a, that's a common word like apple but it's really unique because it's used for computers it's not actually used for apples and then you get to the point where it's uh, descriptive that's kind of the the other end of the spectrum or generic where it's just so commonly known and understood to represent those goods that it wouldn't be registrable so we look at that across a, a continuum they then the examiners will then have a look and see whether there are any other existing trademarks that are already registered that they think are confusingly similar uh, there's also a couple of other odd things that they'll consider depending on the mark itself so it can't be distasteful or offensive can't contain any swear words um, it can't any have any representation of the queen or the royal family or any flags uh, the, or emblems like the red cross um, there's also rules around certain words and symbols which uh, have a geographical significance uh, so Champagne for uh, champagne it has to come from a specific region if it if it can be labelled as champagne. Same with like, Scotch whiskey um, mm -hmm. as well. So there's a, there's a few rules around around geographical significance marks as well. So all of this kind of goes in behind the scenes um, during examination that's done by the the, the trademark register. And every country kind of has you some change some differences in how they examine their marks uh, procedurally as well. Uh, generally around the world, it's pretty uniform, uh, which is which really help, does help. <laughs> you don't really want to have one problem in one country and then, although there might be other problems in other countries, especially with language differences and things. Um, but generally the, the same kind of core rules apply. Uh, and then, yeah, so then if, if a lot of my job will be dealing with any of those objections um, that, that come up, either responding, arguing against them, uh, maybe making tweaks to the application itself. So the list of goods and services, that has to be quite precise um, and various things. And also if there was a, a similar mark, I might argue against that and because I don't think it's similar or we think the goods and services are different and those marks can coexist. Um, or, or he might, yeah, just let it let it go to registration and, and see what happens. Um, so in the UK, um, once a mark is registered, it's only then, or sorry, once it's accepted by the office, only then can another trader kind of come in and and kind of, uh, yeah, challenge that the registration of that mark. Yeah, right. So you've got this process where the register will look at it. They'll say, does this satisfy the requirements that we have? Is it similar to anything else? And you can make some tweaks. And then hopefully you've got it over that hurdle and you've got that trademark registered. So what happens then? Yeah, so so yeah, you've got that bit of paper in your hand, although a lot of a lot of registers don't actually give you a bit of paper anymore, which is kind of sad. I think I did I do remember some clients, they like to have it framed and put it up on the wall and it's quite a <laughs> quite an achievement. I think I'm, I'm sure it's the same, probably even more so with with patents. Um it's a much bigger feat to get a get a patent registered. But um yeah, so, so once you've got that registered, uh, a trademark right and registration can last for infinity, <laughs> um, unlike other other intellectual property rights. Um, all you have to do is renew that right every 10 years, uh, but otherwise it can continue on indefinitely. 
Uh, the other requirement for once you've registered a trademark is that you actually have to use it. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, if you don't, you, you, there are grace periods. Those kind of differ depending on the country. Usually it's around five years. Uh, but once if after that point, if you're not using it for all of the goods and services that you've registered it for, you can risk losing it. Now, you'll only, that'll only happen if uh, another trader challenges you, another business decides to yeah, come after you and want, want you to remove the, uh, part of or whole of your registration, usually because it conflicts with theirs and they're struggling to get a registration because of your mark that's blocking them. Um, but yeah, so th those are the kind of two really core things that you'd have to do. A lot of the time, once I've helped a client to registration, it, you know, I might never see or hear it free from them again, which is really a good thing because it means <laughs> nothing's going wrong. It's yeah. kind of like the doctor in, in that sense. Um, we want to help them get things. We don't want to, don't want them to have any issues with their trademark, but um, yeah, issues do arise you know, all, all the time. It does what keeps us in business. Wait, so you mentioned there, for example, other people can come along and challenge a trademark even after it's mm -hmm. been registered. And you mentioned a few reasons there why people might want to do that. Yeah, so so there's a couple of reasons. So um, third parties, when you're when you're trying to register a trademark, um, and if it blocks you, if it's if it's confusingly similar, uh, although it, you know, it might not be the, the same brand, it might just be a few letters different, for example. So when you're examining the similarity between a trademark, it's you're looking at how it looks, how the word, for example, looks or sounds or what what the word means. Mm. So if if um, if it, if one examiner thinks that they're confusingly similar, then that will block um, another mark from being able to re be registered itself. Or uh, And that, that happens in, in, in mainly in the US and, and China um, and in some other countries. Um, or if, say, for example, uh, a brand is, yeah, it's, it's just been on the register for, for a really long time and, and it's just yeah, blocking space or, or covering like an absurdly amount of, of goods and services. So I think Sky uh, recently had a problem where they had registered their trademark for a huge amount of goods and services that really they're just never going to want to use uh, or register or use their trademark for. Um, I think there were a lot of goods and things. It was really odd. But there was then another business who was who had no no bad faith, no wasn't trying to to imitate Sky at all or anything. But they just wanted to use their brand for something completely different to uh, the, the the TV network, and so uh, they needed to go after Sky and to limit their registration in order for them to be able to freely use and register their their registration. Do you get involved there as a trademark lawyer as well? That's an aspect of your job, helping clients. Uh limit other people's trademarks to make space for their own. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's, um, that's, uh, uh something I do that we do, they're called, um, cancellations. And so well, actually it could happen in two situations. Like I suppose one happens at first off, it might be an opposition. So once a trademark is accepted by the trademark office, uh, it's published and then it's notified, third parties are notified of that trademark. Uh, and then, uh, you, that would give the opportunity to other traders who think it conflicts with theirs to challenge it. Uh, and to say, no, I don't think they should be able to get a registration for that. Their mark is just too similar or, or too confusing to ours. Um, that's, that's an opposition procedure and that happens before registration in most countries uh, and then uh, that, that goes through the um, EU or the UK Intellectual Property Office it can then be appealed uh, further up if, if the parties don't reach a resolution or don't like the decision um, or there can be cancellations, which we've been touching on a little bit now already. Uh, so that can happen for, for various reasons. 
generally the same reasons as an opposition, uh, but it can be for non-use when we think a trademark hasn't been used over a period of time or we think that there might be maybe the markets become generic. So over time, um, a a word might be really distinctive when it was first invented, but because of how consumers use it or it becomes to be known, uh, it can become kind of the common word for that product. So I'm not sure if you're as like escalators I used to be a registered trademark uh, yeah. and now uh, they just everyone, I don't even know what brands of escalators there are, but they're all escalators. So <laughs> that's no longer functioning as a trademark. It's not distinguishing um, one trader, one one producer of escalators from the other. Uh, I think moving staircases, I think. Um, Velcro, Velcro is another one. They've got a really fun uh, YouTube video. Uh, the, the Velcro legal team have come up with a video to try and educate consumers into call it, only calling the hook and loop detachment, which is what it, what that's called, um, only calling it Velcro if it is actually made by Velcro because Velcro is a, is a trademark. Um, so that they've gone to some creative lengths to, to make sure it be- doesn't become generic. Uh, so trademarks can lose rights or lose their registrations f- for that reason. Uh, they can also lose their rights if, if the trademark was registered in bad faith. So if the um, if there was some kind of uh, anti-competitive behaviour or, or kind of deception that's going on in, in registering that, uh, you get some some kind um, customers that have uh, you know or like licensees or distributors in some countries that will register a trademark when they're actually not entitled to um, or really if they're just trying to to be really sneaky and trademark trolls and trying to register one else, someone else's brand just to to make some money um, right. as well so so there's various kind of issues that can go around there and then um, how are trademarks ultimately enforced against other parties so if, if someone starts using your trademark and trying to imitate you as a provider of goods or services what's your options yeah so um if you have yeah if you have an issue so this is this does come up quite a lot um especially for really successful brands it's kind of the peril of success especially as you probably know like in in the luxury goods market um and that kind of thing but also in a lot of other industries as well um pharmaceuticals is quite a quite a big issue and that has a lot of um public policy issues around it as well so uh when whenever yeah a trader or someone it becomes known that someone is applying a trademark to a product or service that is not coming from its original source um, or it's uh, been account- been amended in some way or altered, um, that would be uh, an infringement. And so that's breaching the trademark registered trademark proprietor's rights. So you can sue someone for infringement uh, of their trademark, and that would um, that can have damages and, and other consequences um, if it goes all the way. It's quite difficult to bring an infringement action. You do it goes it's through the through the courts. So you want to be really prepared for for bringing that. We generally pass that on to our um, dispute resolution team here um, at Cartmills. Um, but there's a lot of things that you could do before you before you'd sue someone for infringement. So um, you would send them send the trader a, a cease and desist letter. You would write mm. to them uh, and explain. Maybe they did it accidentally, or they didn't realise what they were doing was wrong. Uh, you would explain that to them, explain the client's rights, um, and request that they they stop doing stop doing that, and maybe hand over uh, the product that they do have that is counterfeit or or is uh, inappropriate um, in breach of those rights. Uh, there's also kind of the internet is a huge p- problem. It's um, I mean, there's lots of takedowns, so Instagram, eBay, uh, Amazon, a lot of those um, online retailers will have processes, 
uh, in place that you can rec- uh, lodge a complaint um, and have certain counterfeit products taken down and taken from the website. That can be kind of one, <laughs> you might do that once and then it, 10 others pop up though. It can it can be a really difficult, difficult Bit process. Bit of a game of whack-a-mole. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that's trademarks, what they are, how they're registered, a bit of how, how they're enforced. I mean, what does your working day look like though, Alexandra? I mean, how much of it are you looking at trademarks before they're registered, after they're registered? What are you doing on your day-to-day working life? Yeah. So literally I could probably touch on some, maybe a different client will be at a different stage of the, the trademark life cycle. And so I could, in a given day, I could touch on various different levels or, or parts of that life cycle, um, which is, which I find is a really fascinating part of my job, uh, regularly. So for example, um, today, what was I doing? So I kind of, the first, first thing you do, you check your emails. Uh, So majority of my job is email based. I'm communicating with my client. I'm communicating with local council, um, around the world in various different countries. Um, but also I'm, I might be writing letters, uh, to the intellectual property offices, um, and that kind of thing. So a lot of it is, is, email or, or document based um, so I'll be checking emails I might kind of deal with any urgent deadlines for that day so maybe uh, it's a deadline for my client to file an opposition against another another trademark um, that's uh, up for up for opposition maybe it's the last day maybe we've I, I would have maybe communicated with the owner of the trademark to say hey you know you can't register that my client's already got this trademark maybe we would have tried to resolve it in some way uh, if that's not possible I I'd go ahead and, and file the opposition. Um, so that might take up a good chunk of good chunk of my day. Um, I might be doing various other things like, you know, I, have, I had a phone call with local council in China to deal, discuss some of the objections that were raised to one of my client's applications. There was some issues with the, the specification and our description of goods. So I might have a chat to them about that. Um, I was also advising a client. Um, they reached out to me. They were looking at uh, developing a, a mobile app uh, as an extension on their business, they're wanting to to look at some some options for for registering their name uh, in connection with the the app. Um, so yeah, so it, it can be very varied. Uh, and it, what I kind of love about this job is that I could be dealing with you know one to ten different trademark matters and different clients at any given di- day. It's it's kind of quite unlike other areas of law, I think, in that way that it's quite transactional. It's kind of short snippets. Um, throughout the day, uh, which it gives a really great variety and keeps mm. things really interesting. Um, but then, you know, there are some days where you know I might be preparing evidence uh, of use to you know to try and save my client's trademark from being revoked. So that might take up yeah you know, a whole day. And um, well, how did you end up in this job? Um, yeah. So, gosh, I. So you might have t- could tell from my from the accent, <laughs> but um, I'm actually not from from the UK. Um, I originally trained in New Zealand, so I um, I started a, a law degree uh, in in New Zealand, and about halfway through kind of my law degree, I discovered the world of IP and was really fascinated by it actually I think it's you know really interesting area um I you know brands they're everywhere you know you see them every day um 
and and they have such a huge impact on a, on a business itself, but also as a consumer too. So mm. I kind of got really fascinated by it itself. So I I kind of went down that avenue and specialised, uh, became became a, a solicitor in New Zealand, uh, and worked at a at a at a firm uh, in New Zealand doing similar thing that I'm doing here, uh, protecting helping c- clients protect their trademarks. Um, and then, yeah, after a few years, I decided to expand the, hor- the horizons quite vi- quite literally um, and, and flew over to the, to the UK um, to kind of, you know, New Zealand's a, a little island on the edge of the world. So it's it's nice to kind of come to the UK and London especially and you're kind of in amongst the thick of it um, and kind of kind of see trademarks from, from this perspective is, has been really fascinating. So the great thing is, I guess, is that Trademark law is quite universal. It's similar uh, across the world, uh, and so in terms of tra- uh, transferring my uh, my experience and my law qualification in New Zealand to the UK has has been pretty seamless. Actually, um, right. it's 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 been really similar, uh, and it does also help. I guess that New Zealand's a Commonwealth country, so our law itself in New Zealand really stemmed from the UK uh, and and conforms a lot with with UK precedent. So. That does help a lot. Yeah. So your route into the profession is you did a law degree, you're a solicitor by background. I'm aware there's other routes into the profession as well. Yeah. So it's actually really, there's another aspect of it that's just so great about the job, I guess, is that um, we've got such a variety of people's backgrounds that can mm. be working in, in IP generally and, and in trademarks as well. Um, so you don't actually need to be a lawyer to to be a tra- to work in trademarks and to do this job. Um there is uh, the same, you might, might have mentioned on another podcast about patent attorneys, the same qualification exists in trademarks. So uh, you can do a post-undergraduate post, uh, degree uh, or, or course um, and become qualified as a trademark attorney in the UK and in the EU. Uh, and once once completed those, I think there's, there's various exams and things, um, and once you completed those, uh, you'll be able to practice uh, in trademarks. Great. Well, I think that's uh, probably everything that anyone needs to know about trademarks and to be getting on with. Of course, if people want any more information about the trademark profession or how to join it, they can always contact us here at Cartmills at recruitment at cartmills.com. I'd just like to say, Alexandra, thanks so much for joining me today and going through our whirlwind tour of the world of trademarks. Uh, But before you go, I've got one final question. I tend to ask all my guests, uh, what's your favourite part of your job? as a trademark lawyer gosh um oh uh, that's I think I I think I might have touched on it like yeah just the variety I guess is probably yeah don't want to repeat myself but um yeah just the the variety of it and I I also love kind of the involvement um of being involved with a brand before it reaches market so it's it's really exciting you know being involved with a business that's starting up uh and that's creating something new uh and you're getting to hear about it you're getting to learn about it you know before the rest of the world does uh, which is which is really exciting um side of things and then and it's a really nice is i, I kind of call it the the happy side of law where you're dealing with the creation of something as opposed to you know people's problems um which is really nice um but it's it's also great because I you know even when I leave the office or leave the job, I see my job everywhere I go. So I'm out mm. and about, and I see you know, I was at the airport the other day, and one of my clients' new trademarks popped up on on one of the advertisement displays, and it's a really nice walk, not really nice feeling when you, I know that I ha- had some involvement in in getting that there. Oh, fantastic! Well, thanks again, Alexandra, and thank you for listening to Discover IP. So we hope that you'll join us again soon for 
more insights into the various career paths that there are in intellectual property. So do subscribe wherever you usually get your podcasts. And if you want to find out more about a career in IP or you want to get in touch or you have any questions or any suggestions for other episodes that we could run, then uh, contact us at recruitment at cartmills.com. Great. Thanks so much, Ben. Thanks.